Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to listen to Buddy Pitch a Campaign, but before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. On this podcast, we like to talk uh, about games, and uh, today our our uh, focus is kind of a new segment on the show called Campaign Pitch Me. Uh, the idea is that one of us comes uh, comes ready at bat with kind of an overall idea for um, for a custom campaign in uh, you know D and D or Star Wars some some version of tabletop anything right uh, and we just kind of work through that pitch so that you know hey man if you wanna if you wanna take that idea and run with it have have my brain and my my thoughts on how to do this anyway um that's campaign pitch me uh but uh i don't know i guess should i just pitch am i am i here to pitch you my campaign yeah go ahead go okay tell me your campaign buddy just (laughs) so just real quick uh my campaign is built for pathfinder uh in my in my head this is this is a pathfinder kind of campaign um, but I actually think that you could take it to a couple of different places is, if necessary. The idea is kind of like Battlestar Galactica meets like Lord of the Rings almost. Um, in the sense that, <clears throat> and you're going to recognize some of these things because they're kind of like typical me tropes in a campaign. But uh, essentially the idea is that the last, you know, human kingdom, right of wherever has has fallen right uh the capital city has been besieged and destroyed and the only you know the only survivors are all of the you know like all of the civilians that were able to evacuate out some kind of back door to the city and now live on this you know this big fat caravan and they're trying to um you know they're trying to make their way across the continent right and outrun uh the uh uh the invading forces so that they aren't completely wiped out and genocided by you know whatever it wants to be in my head it is uh in my head it's militarized like orcs and you know like a big like monsters army right like orcs and hobgoblins and you know bugbears just all all of that stuff kind of lumped into yeah like yeah like a greenskins uh uh like a uh, like a Greenskins army. And the big hook to me is kind of a revision of the caravan campaign rules where the caravan has like a population, essentially, and like that population being depleted uh, by a couple of different things. You know what I mean? Like a couple of different things will affect this, right? Um you know, starvation, not having, you know, like not being able to scrounge up enough supplies, uh, or whatever, or maybe you have to kind of like march too hard in order to, uh, in order to, uh, make, you know, like in order to like make your, your way across. I I also have a kind of like, like in my head, I kind of feel that the, the population of the camp of the caravan is the important number and as that dwindles lower and lower like whether or not you can kind of come back from this is the uh is the overarching is the overarching question okay so yeah that's my that's my that's the general idea so is is there like an end goal like do do people do people know where they're running yeah so um i kind of view it as like so all of the pathfinder playable races uh they are 
you know, orcs, or sorry, um, uh, humans, dwarves, elves, right? These guys are kind of the failed coalition that has been, you know, that, that's been, uh, destroyed by the kind of the dark armies, um, and are being and are being kind of chased down by them. But the end goal in my head is a neutral zone of another race that's not playable but not explicitly evil, right? Like, you know, I, I, if it were me, I would probably pull in an old mainstay of mine, like the Leonin, um, or maybe another kind of, you know, like another one of our uh, invented races could make this work. We have Gossamites, uh, which are an invented race I love, which are um, they're elementals that are bound by these kind of alchemically treated bandages. So they almost look like almost look like mummies or like ethereals from WoW because they don't have they don't have like a body or something like. So the end goal is to get to you know is to try and become refugees and get to. Uh, you know, these Leonin lands, these Gossamite lands, uh, or whatever. Um, but that's kind of the far-flung, you know, way far in the future. Um, right. You know, because you, you don't, you don't want to get there until way later in the, you know, in the, in the level structure. Most of it is um, to kind of, like, lay out what the map kind of looks like in my head. You have... Uh, Let's say like a you know it's like it's like a wide like a football shaped continent right and the very like the very far west bit is kind of this fallen human kingdom and you spend probably the first book and a half maybe um, I actually almost kind of want to dissolve this instead of you know into like the typical six books into like a four book um, format right uh, and so here so let's break this up here's here's the first book the first book is you and, you know, you and kind of whoever, probably not the king, but maybe like a prince or something like that, like some like definitive leadership figure are able to evacuate most of the civilians in the city um, while it is being, uh, while it is being kind of sacked and most of the arm like most of the armed forces are kind of in a suicide mission back there in order to buy you the time to escape, Right. That's the that's the initial kind of hook, and um, but you actually spend the 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 first six levels, five levels or so, um, kind of tooling around the wasteland, destroyed, scorched earth kind of um, coalition kingdom, trying to scrounge up as many refugees as you possibly can. Right, like anybody that's been displaced, anybody that's been that's been destroyed. You go to, you know, other major cities, other villages, try and find everybody you possibly can find uh, to add them to the caravan because, um, you know, you want to be setting out from, you want to be setting out from uh, the Coalition Kingdom with as as high a population count as possible. Uh, that's kind of how I look at, like, the first bit of the campaign. And, in fact, this is the, the – the, for these five levels, your campaign – your your caravan population number goes up and up and up and up and up. Um, and then it kind of – once you leave coalition territory and journey further east, that's where uh, – that's where things get rough. And you're not picking up – you know, you're not picking up population anymore. Okay. Um, do you have a layout for like the the rest of the the books? Yeah. So uh, the second one is kind of um, so you know like so you know in World War Two the Maginot line, right? Yeah. 
So in I think it's 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 a band of like wilderness that's been kind of maintained sort of like a Maginot line. Um, <clears throat> I, I like to call big, I like to call kind of big wild foresty sections like this, uh, the green reach. Uh, and so that's what it's, that's what it's called. And it's, um, and so it's about, and so it's about like journeying through this super unkempt kind of forest, right? Uh, somewhere by the way, there is a, there is a highway, the, the dark armies, you know the dark armies had to get, have to get through this this place somehow, and they basically did that just by like torching, you know, torching all of the trees uh, and everything, and making a big barren highway. You know, to so you have to you have to avoid that. You can't be on that, and uh, and so you're being and so here you're 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 not actually dealing with the dark armies all that much. You're dealing with. Uh, owl bear, you know what I mean? Like all of those kinds of magical creatures, right? Like owl bears and displacer beasts, right? And, um, you know, wild tribes of gnolls or something that is, you know, like these things that aren't, um, that aren't organized into, uh, into kind of like an explicit nation or anything like that. At the same time, you know, your the dark armies are catching up after you because they've, you know, the, the city's finally fallen, uh, and they're, and they're able to move their big, uh, their their big force um, back and uh, and so you and so now it's all about kind of like outrunning them you don't have a road there are no roads through here so moving through the forest itself is really slow and really plodding and it slows down you know it slows down the enemy armies obviously just as much um, but they still have things like cavalry that can come in and attack right like war riders and shit like that Um and, uh, and so that's the next five levels. <clears throat> the, um, uh, the, the on this theoretical football shaped continent, how wide is this and about where on the football is it? Uh, uh, this is in the, this is the next like straight. So it's a football divided into four sections vertically. Right. Right. So the, the far Western tip is the coalition nations. The middle tip is the green reach or like the middle left tip is the green reach. The middle right tip uh, is the, is the, the dark armies, right? The horde armies or whatever, though. That's probably not a great term um, uh, because they're very organized and uh, they're almost kind of like imperialistic. Uh, like I kind of like the idea of, uh, of them behaving, behaving a little bit like, Rome, like, like, but like, really, like, fucked up evil Romans, almost. Um, like, like, maybe the Star Wars Empire. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's actually a really good. Yeah. But like, without the racism. Um. Uh. Anyway, and then on the right, the, the um, Star Wars Empire isn't particularly, like the human, the humanist poly stuff only comes out in like the EU, and that's not even canon anymore. Never mind. It's not important. Continue with your pitch. Welcome back, folks. Uh, we had a little bit of technical difficulty there. Um, anyway, I won't even... You know you're, you're not going to fight me semantically on whether or not the Star Wars Empire is racist? Exactly. Yes. Um, uh, it, it's, it's not important. Just continue with your pitch. Okay. Well, so in my head, uh, these guys are... Uh, so, you know, like their, their goal is kind of like assimilation, but like through brutally destroying any other cultures that, you know, like they, they have a monolithic culture and they want to assimilate you into their monolith culture. They do. They have no tolerance, uh, you know, for your gods, right? For your 
morals, any any of this other kind of stuff, right? Um, and then the, the far right section of the football is the kind of safe zone, right? This is the lay in a nation or the, you know, what whatever, wherever this, this uh, I should honestly try and like nail that down. Uh, or I should nail that down more than I kind of have. Anyway, so um, so the, so the next those next five levels are moving through this wilderness, and mostly your your foe here is the environment, right? Your your you're fighting uh, you know crazy diseases, right? Like that, you know, like malaria is gonna strike, uh, and you're gonna have to try and figure out how to do that, or like other like crazy, you know magical magical diseases and shit um and then you get at level 10 you get into the uh like the dark nation right where where the, the dark empire let's call it that um and because the imperials were able to use the highway their army is there to meet you right and so now it is like now it is can you outrun the army itself explicitly right um <clears throat> and kind of in i in and so kind of the question is is how militarily do you want to uh you know do you want to make things here if you want if you like i think there's a version of this where players are relentlessly training civilians to try and make them into a fighting force of some variety right uh and so here you can kind of engage in some kind of almost like mass combat um or you can be uh like focusing your caravan to be uh you know quick or stealthy right um or uh you know the ability to um uh you know the ability to live without or like you know consume resources at at a, at a decreased rate like this kind of stuff these are the kinds of advantages so that instead of you know fa facing off against uh you know the dark armies you can just outrun them outlive outlive them right outlast them kind of thing um and this includes you know the, the i don't i don't think it's a linear point a to b thing anymore um i think the uh uh, I think you're going to be zigzagging. You're going to be trying to use the terrain to your advantage, right? Like, can you ford a river, right? Uh, can you get past, you know, can you get past mountains? Uh, these are the kinds of things, like, what can you do to slow, uh, to slow, like, the on onslaught of the oncoming army down, right? Um, and then you reach the terminus location where... Uh, uh, you get to the uh, you get to the, you get to the neutral race and the neutral nation, but spoiler alert, plot twist: the neutral race nation has been also kind of like conquered and destroyed at the same time by uh, by the dark armies, right? Like they came there first, and so what it is about what what it becomes there is um, can you, you what it becomes there is like can you rebuild in, can you rebuild in this kind of desolate wasteland of a of a place that has been completely scorched earth burned to the ground not occupied at all and so you know like can you re this is the space for you to rebuild and remake your society it's the last five levels everybody's really powerful oh i forgot to mention by the way that the idea of the, the reason that the neutral race is quote-unquote like safe right um uh, is like a safe place to go and a safe place to be in is because they have like a great wall kind of thing it actually feels to me a little bit more like the wall from king kong if uh uh 
in that it's not about, you know, the wallet, the, the wall itself is like a much higher, much bigger barrier with like a big explicit gate to kind of go through. Um, and, uh, and that, that's, what's always kept the neutral nation safe. So as long as you can get to that gate, right. As long as you can get through to the neutral nation, get behind that wall, everything, everything will be all right. But when you do actually get there, all it is past the wall is just utter devastation. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so that's the, that's the last bit of, uh, and, and so the there. idea is, is, is you can keep the wall, the doors closed and the wall safe for a while while you build up before like this the big confrontation happens yeah something along those kinds of uh yeah something along those kinds of lines um it's also a little bit of like this is kind of where like nation but i'm a big fan of nation building in games um this is kind of where like the nation building ish stuff happens um like how do you recover from uh you know like are you able to uh are you able to kind of assimilate um you know are you other uh, able to assimilate other members of the neutral race, like are there holdouts, are there pockets, right. uh, that kind of thing. And I think the climax here, I, each each one of these kinds of has its own, uh, each one of these kind of has its own climax, right? The climax of the first book is that the army is explicitly caught up to you and it's just a race against time. How many people can you get into the safety of the wilderness before, you know, you are... Uh, you know, the before everyone's like kind of overtaken, right? Um, and so a percentage, you know, a percentage of the caravan, uh, probably as low as maybe ten percent, but as high as maybe twenty-five or thirty percent, um, is going to get cut off and destroyed by the dark army, kind of no matter what. Um, but like the bulk of you know the bulk of everything uh, uh, is safe, and <coughs> excuse me, and you kind of. Um, and you kind of get out safe. Um, the uh, um, what I think of is the big set piece kind of end session of what the wilderness section looks like um, is a so it's like uh, so you know like Land Before Time or maybe like maybe like Jurassic Park right? You come to a valley right, and it's this huge valley and it's filled with all of these giant, massive, titanic dinosaur kind of creatures or whatever. Um, and all you have to do is get to the other side of the valley before, you know, like, and on the other side of the valley, that's where the entrance to the Dark Nations are, right? That's how you get through. But in order to move through the, you, you have to move through the valley without kind of, like, triggering the, you know, like, triggering any of these, like, super titanic creatures. Spoiler alert, you probably do, and it's a big, you know, kind of stampede of, you know... Can you make it out of the valley in time before you get just absolutely pummeled into into nothingness? Um, oh, so, so is that in the entirety of that section, or is that just like one one example of a thing? You no, have to do sorry, that's just that is the tail. That's the very tail okay, end of okay, that okay. section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think you know, like I think there's other stuff that happens in there. For instance, something that I that I would want to do is run a short little thing about. Um, like native tribes kind of like savage tribes right like you come across a tribes of you know you come across uh, you come across a tribe of you know feral kind of uh like centaurs or something right like can you can you add them to the caravan to be an asset right like that kind of you know so, so it's filled with that kind of stuff um 
then you get to the dark then you get to the dark nation uh the dark nation you should th this is where you should uh there should be like good foreshadowing to what happened to uh, let's just call them laying in um the, the what happened to the laying in right like you you might find uh you know like a prison camp and liberate this prison camp uh and it's it's full of all these all these laying in who um uh you know they don't they can't tell you what happened they've been they were in prison before everything went to shit across the wall and so they want to get back to the wall too but like this is the first indication maybe that stuff is a little bit like fucked up and not quite there um but uh um uh, what, uh, you, what the, the, it's actually the opposite to, uh, the, the, the ending session there to me is, is the opposite. Instead of running away from something, you have to defeat kind of the garrison that's guarding the bridge. However, you know, however that comes down. Um, and so you'll, you have to like bulldoze, you have to get in your bulldozer, bust through the, the enemy, you know, the enemy lines or whatever. Um, and, and make it to the other side, uh, make it to the other side of the gate before you kind of close it on everything and, uh, and figure out what goes on in the back, uh, in the back half of things. And, uh, and then I think the final, uh, you know, the, the, the final big super climactic moment is, uh, is kind of like, um, it's a little bit like a, like a, maybe like a Minas Tirith kind of fight, um, at the former capital city of the neutral nation that you've kind of taken over, right? By this time, the Dark Army has already kind of breached the gate, and now you have to refight the, the you know, you have to kind of refight the escape that would have been the level one kind of opener, right? Um, by uh, uh, by kind of you 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 have to you have to fortify this city and break the back of the attacking Dark Army against it in order to you know, push back, free yourself, you know, so, like solidify your nation as your nation, um, and, uh, and keep the dark army at bay for, you know, however long the rest, of, the rest of time. That's like, that's like, yeah. So that's it. Awesome. That, that's, this sounds really cool and really compelling. Um, and, and essentially it seems like the big, the big mechanics process are going to be this, this caravanning bit. Um, so the thing that, 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 that pops to mind immediately for me is kind of um, obviously you can't have these like big dungeon set pieces or, or they'd be harder to do in a way that would make sense story-wise. How do you like um, there's actually I'll, I'll, I'll link to this great uh, article by the angry GM called getting there is half the fun on uh, on doing um uh, on, on doing kind of like travel stuff. Travel is traditionally part of like the game that either gets glossed over or done poorly. Um, and that seems like like 95% of this campaign is, is yeah, the traveling. Yeah, that's built to be the case. Um, so, um, I, th so here, here's my, here's my caravan rules kind of, uh, uh, overview, right? I think your caravan has something of an experience pool, but like it's not really quite like that. It, but but my point is is that it levels up. But every time it levels up, it allows you to kind of specialize the caravan in a certain way, right? Like so, think of this like a talent tree, right? Ten levels, um, 
you know, and you've got and you've got kind of a mix of of kind of talents to to choose to pick and choose from, or like maybe like perks uh, in like Skyrim or like Fallout or something like this, right? Um, and so this is where you can kind of specialize your caravan to be mass combat oriented, right? If you want to throw perks into um, uh, you know, training the civilians, trying to create, uh, trying to create an army, or you can do the opposite thing, right? Like, well, let's, you know, let's make it so that we can do forced marches once every three days without consuming extra resources, right? Um, or, um, you know, let's make it so that when we do forced marches, we, uh, you know, we force march at, at double the rate, um, for one day every week, right? Like these, you know, like these kinds of things. Um, and so, and so that leveling process is a big, is a big part of, uh, the, the kind of overview in my mind, but actually something that I, that I wanted, would, would want to do is flood the map with encounters, like kind of hooks and allow the players to fill in the dots on their own. Um, uh, in, in I think that you have a map where you you can kind of uh, pinpoint a bunch. It's a little bit like the map that we just did. <coughs> not to jump forward at all. Uh, jump forward in in Hell's Rebels, where there's all these kind of points of interest around the region, right? But uh, but imagine it where there's all these points of interest around the region, but instead of seven, there's like twenty, right? And you need to kind of get from one of three or four starting points to one of three or four ending points, right? And you ping pong between a couple of different ones in, you know, in, in the middle there somewhere, right? Um, and so you might have uh, an indication of uh, what the points do or what you might be able to get, right? So let's say I start, let's say I'm in the wilderness section. I hit a point and, uh, oh, and it's actually a little bit like this scanner in, like, FTL, right, where you can send out maybe, like, scouting parties or whatever to try and, like, make a cursory investigation of the um, – of all of the nodes that are adjacent to you. And say, you know, there's three nodes. One of them is, is an ancient, you know, is an ancient, ancient, like an Aztec ziggurat tomb thing right you can breach that tomb maybe it has magic you know like maybe it has something for you to get or find or is cool or interesting um in order to do that and so that's the node that you go to right like that's a very personal reward for the pcs they should expect to uh the, to power themselves up that way um maybe the node is uh is like i said before you know like this is this is where this herd of centaur camp out and so you're going to go to that node and you're going to try and recruit them and add their pop to uh to the overall caravan right um that's what that's what that node looks like uh maybe the third node is um you know the third node is like it's 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 like uh it's like an elephant graveyard but for these uh, you know, like these big dinosaurs that come into play later, right? And so this is a place where you can basically show up and hunt to your heart's content just to fill the caravan with Brachiosaurus meat, right? Um, so if you're really itching for supplies, right, like that's the node that you can go to. And so you're making progress no matter where you're going, right? And you have an outline of kind of what that'll look like. But actually, unfortunately... Um, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to go to the elephant gra the you know the brachiosaurus graveyard and then backtrack to go to uh, the uh, the backtrack to go to the centaur right do you see right. what I'm saying 
and then and the 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 pressure to that is the uh is, is the invading army or the the dark nation on your tail correct like the thing that keeps yeah 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 okay um all right that that makes sense um do you think there'll be enough to like like I feel like the internal mechanics of the caravan have like there has to be enough of that in order for it to feel coherent rather than just like a strung together set of of points. Um, do you have any plans for like that like struggle within the caravan and whatnot? Like, uh, in a in a kind of political sense, you mean like could who be runs the caravan? You know, yeah, like, 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 yeah. So, um. I think that the lines between nodes, um, this is something that I think would be super cool, right? Every time you move from one node to another, right, you have to kind of traverse that line and you roll on a table, you know, to kind of see what will happen. And you can actually have and you can actually have caravan perks that affect this role, right? Like, so maybe if you roll on the table and, the, and there's, you know, there's a section of it that's like random encounters, right? There's a section of it that's like an event inside of the caravan happens there's a section of it that's like um you know you run into kind of an external problem that's not exactly you know it's not like monsters or anything like that but it's like an external problem along the way that you kind of have to deal with you could you could have perks that could modify some of that stuff right like maybe if you roll you know if you roll on the table and you and you pop a random encounter you can roll twice on the random encounter table and choose Right. So you can give yourself an easier fight or a harder fight if you want better rewards, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and and I think kind of integrating that into uh, I think kind of integrating that into the uh, into the way the caravan moves is what is what makes it work. By the way, I actually think that it th that lends itself to kind of a natural structure for the campaign. So what you do is you have, you essentially say, OK, guys, where are you, you know, like session end okay guys where are you going next they choose a node destination you roll on the random encounter table build build an encounter in the interceding week right the next session is that middle of the is that road encounter right the session after that is that um node encounter do you see what i'm saying you kind of hops hopscotch between back okay. and forth between actually I, I think i i should link you this article um i might have in the past on um, the angry gym because he's actually got a, a system that's um, essentially you assign like a danger number uh, one through six to each the area you're traveling through and then you roll six dice one for each time of day and each one that comes up equal to or under the danger number um, is another encounter that could happen um, and he, he's got a whole bunch of rules there um, and there's some speed speed stuff in there as well. Um, there's a lot of nuances in there that, that, I'm, that I'm not going to go into now, but that kind of thing I think could could work really well for this, actually. I actually um, think that makes a lot of sense, especially if you kind of look at it from the perspective of like, okay, um, you front load to the players to the fact that the encounter the road encounters are random right the gm doesn't control them and so this date like managing this danger number means that like players who take a big risk can be fucked over really hardcore by themselves right um because yeah. the gm kind of can't cheat in their in their favor almost do you see what i'm saying yeah actually the more i think about it, the more this this article, I think, is, is perfect for this. So, I think... Is, are you planning on making navigation a big part of this? In what way? Like, the potential to get lost. 
right? The, like, oh, 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 yeah. Uh, so I think, well, uh, to be honest, I think of that as like a sub mechanic in the wilderness section. Um, then it is a. Oh sure. Uh, so, so just to very briefly outline it, the way the way that the angry GM suggests you do the, the travel in general is something like, um, you know, you have point A where you are, you have point B where you want to go, and you've got a rough map of what's in between, and maybe there's a couple different ways to get there, right? The example he uses is a road that goes around the outside and that takes the longest, but it's the safest and easiest. You can march through the forest of goblins in front of you, or you can go through the mountains on the left, which is kind of like a medium path. Okay. Um, and uh, each each of these behaves a little differently um, in terms of how easy it is to navigate, how long it will take, and um, what kind of danger level it is. But there's also the chance at the end of each day that you've kind of like put yourself slightly in the wrong direction, and so you've got a chance of being lost. And if you're lost, you kind of don't make progress. And I think this actually works well for this game because I kind of feel like you want some sort of like measure of how close behind you the enemy army is. And you can force, like, like one of the things you use is, like, if you go slow, um, you get bonuses to m making your way, but you're traveling at two-thirds speed. Um, whereas if you go fast, you get penalties to, like, seeing the things that's happening. And, and one of the things he, he, he stresses is that these encounters that you're potentially generating, you can um, kind of finagle it so that you, like, you know, if you're going slow and you come across, like, say, uh, you know, like a, a pride of lions or something, right? Um, if you're going slow, you'll you'll see that before you and maybe go around the outside instead of dealing with them in combat. Um, but if you're going fast, you might just kind of run into it too fast and have to deal with it as a combat. Um, uh -huh. And I think that, that that kind of thing could be very valuable for... Because I, I think what you want in this campaign is the pressure of the army behind you to be like a real mechanic so that if you don't advance far enough, you start having to deal with more and more harassment from from the uh, army following up. And if you can get ahead of them, you get some sort of um, advantage against them. And, you know, you, you can measure, like, you can measure those penalties like, oh, the front runners caught up with you. And so, um, and so you've lost some port, like the tail end of your caravan to like raids um, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And the, the only thing issue I can see there is that you risk like a hard failure state. And I don't know how, how, uh, how, uh, What's it? How how okay you are with that? But I think that could make for some for a very compelling kind of set of things to do. I think maybe you can give the PCs one oh shit button, right? Like say there's a really powerful court mage or something like that, and like if absolutely necessary, he can teleport the caravan. You know what I mean? Out of like out of danger, sure. but he basically has to sacrifice his own life to do it. Or, right? or like there's like a, a powerful scroll somewhere that you know you you make it. Limited use. Oh, man, that's actually super cool. You have, like, an artifact kind of, like, MacGuffin thing. Yeah. You could actually do it in a, in a way that's, like, you can use this thing to get out, but it also leaves it behind so that the enemy army can pick it up, um, which, like, increases the danger, you know, like, the danger yeah. zone. Um, that kind of thing. That's awesome. That's actually really neat. Uh, yeah, something I was actually thinking about uh, that I actually really like about the idea of this campaign is I like the idea of different starting states for players um, where where you can say like, okay, you know, if you choose to move between point A and point B so, uh, with a force march, right, it means that any combat that you encounter during that march, you encounter it fatigued exhausted right um but if you 
do it regular like that's when you people kind of walk in at the top of their game right there's maybe a, a, a version of this where like oh you're a paladin and maybe you know you get half uses of smite and lay on hands for the day because of your uh do you see what i'm saying like because of your you know like your fatigue at, at moving so quickly okay i see what you're saying yeah oh interesting yeah that, that, that's actually so th th that's that's a way to kind of like simulate um that, that's a way to simulate kind of uh you know like multiple combats in a day without rest without actually having to do the multiple combats right um but i i, I feel like you'd want to write out like exactly how that works ahead of time that way players are prepared for it the thing spring that on players is going to make people butthurt if they're not expecting it if that makes sense yeah definitely um i think it would also make sense in the uh i i think it would also kind of make sense in the context of like so so uh so a problem with hell's rebels is that because the the, the sessions are three hours apiece and uh we're not exactly the quickest um, and I like to structure my, you know, like I like to structure, I like to structure moments like as they, you know, like each scene is kind of its own moment. It means that most encounters that you guys start on, you start on with most of your resources, right? Um, and so, for instance, Rakax, as Rakax gets more and more challenges, he can basically just bank on the fact that he can challenge whatever enemy he's fighting and not give a shit, right? Like, he doesn't really have to yeah. save it or pick it and choose it, right? Alaric can just blow all of his three, you know, like his level three spells because at the end of the day, you know what I mean? Like, uh, we're not going to do a kind of multi-step... Uh, you know, we're not going to do any, any any kind of our, like, multi-step dungeons uh, that we do in stuff like Rune Lords. Um, so he doesn't have to worry about running out of spell slots all that often. Um, <clears throat> I think this is a great way to get around that, right? Like, if you want to make a solo, uh, if you want to make a, a solo uh, event take place, um, you 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 can do that while also kind of like forcing the players to be not at full strength uh without it also feeling shitty you know what i mean yeah yeah absolutely yeah um so we, we've kind of like set out set out a lot about like how how we run this in, in abstract did you have any anything concrete you wanted to throw in there i know in the past you've talked about like um what you need to limit in terms of like uh like uh resource access like spells in particular that that seem to be able to um mitigate a lot of problems Interesting um, do you have enough. any thoughts about that i don't i uh, so the thing that got me out of that funk that i was in was upping the population by just a ridiculous amount right when this caravan is huge when it's ten thousand people right um you one mage in your party being able to cast create water doesn't really make a dent right but what it does do but what what is cool about it is that you can build that into the perk system right where right. you can say okay you're going to train people as druids you're going to train people as clerics right and this is going to you know decrease you know ease the supplies the supply draw and whatever right yeah. exactly exactly and i think i think once i hit on that as an idea i felt 
pretty good about. Uh, okay. I felt pretty good about moving uh, moving some of this stuff. One thing that I don't like um, still is overland flight and how flight works. Just because, like, I think too much kind of scouting and an ability to track and understand where the enemy. You know, like I think you the 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 threat of the. Um, the threat of the dark army chasing you has to be something that you can't see coming, that you can't properly, rec- re, you know, surveillance reconnaissance. You can't, you can't get that, um, which is important to you know leaving the the mystery. It could be quick. It could be far. You're not exactly sure, right? Or if you do, if you can do it, it's a very it's a very kind of high level, right? Like maybe it's a capstone ability in one of the quote unquote talent trees. See, I feel I feel like you need to have like a, a rough understanding of where the caravan is, so you have the right amount of tension, right? Like, you know, maybe if you've put enough ground between them, you can take your time for the next couple of days. But if you get the feeling that the if if you know that they're like relatively close and hot on your tail, and I'm not saying you need to know like with exact numbers, like how many days they are behind you. But I think, I think like a kind of rough understanding there is important for um, kind of one, maintaining the right amount of tension when they're close and two, rewarding players for being able to get out ahead of the threat. Um, if they manage to like make the right decisions or like, you know, so get lucky in some ways and, and get a couple days ahead of, of, of the, the army behind them. So my instinct is to say that if you know where the dark army is, you lose tension, right? Because that's a definite thing, right? But like I think a general sense of where uh, I, th- I think a general sense of where it is. You, I you I don't think you want to be kind of surprised necessarily, um, but. Uh, so, so mi- I think there has to be some mystery there in order to keep players on their toes. I, I feel like knowing where like the bulk of the army is, like when that when they'll catch up, it'll be a serious problem. I don't think that's a problem. In fact, I think that's like the main driver of tension. I think like you know maybe like knowing where their like advanced raiding parties is 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 not necessarily um, a thing. Is a thing that that you can keep in the dark and keep the tension up that way, right? Like, are we gonna get hit tonight okay. by a raiding party? Um, but I think knowing where, where like most of the army, an army is also not a, a small thing, right? Like if it's a, sure. if it's a large force, I think you should be able to kind of see that coming in and, and to, to, to kind of counter the point about overland flight, you get close to a large, too close to a large army while you're flying in the air, you get shot down, right? Like you, you assume that they, they have like a normal kind of composition, uh, army composition to their arrows that are coming out of that. Um, yeah, I mean, right, but I mean, like, if I'm if I'm using overland flight, I can, I can just see that army from miles away. I don't need to get close enough to get into arrow range. I don't know. Part of me also says that like burning a high level spell, um, to see how far out the army is every day, like that's like you know, when you're at third level, right, or not third level, fifth level, and you've got like one or two third level spells, and you're burning that every day to kind of keep track of where the army is. I think, I feel like that's an acceptable expenditure of resources. Um, so, uh, I actually think that it's, it's about the day, the day you kind of have to dedicate like a day to make this kind of thing work. I mean, so really what it kind of comes down to, um, is that I think having kind of a scent, like a, like a scouting sense of how, where, where you are and where other people are, um, is kind of, cool and important but you can't let that radius get too big otherwise you just have too much 
information and there's there's like almost no strategy to it anymore right like you know like for instance when we talked about it when we, this is this is like a huge throwback right like uh in our strategy games episode i talked about how you have to have rng in strategy games um in order to force players to make quick quick thinking decisions right, right. like you know you can't you can't have a having a strategy game where um, the players have so much information just kind of like makes it deterministic, right? Like right. the test is whether or not the players, you know, um, can, can kind of like think through to the, to the Solve end the goal, puzzle. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and I think you want to avoid that as much as possible. And it feels to me like, um, having, having, um, but I feel like if you have too little information, then it's, it's not really a choice either. It's just, you have to do everything as fast as possible because you never know where anything is going to be. And, th and that's. That's like if you want that to be the way the game is, and that's fine. But then you don't really give the players a choice, right? Oh, see, I think you and I are just drawing the line in a different place. To me, that okay. to me, Overland Flight draws the line too close on too much information, right? When your radius, you know, like when your radius from the caravan jumps in Overland Flight to however many miles, um, all of a sudden, like that's just so, you know, it's just such a huge, it's such a huge uh, radius that you can see that it's just like it's just too big right i'm also kind of thinking about it in in the term of like not so much the players using it i don't think the play even if the players did use it i don't think it would be that bad because the players um you know the players being able to use overland flight in order to uh go find the army come back kind of thing that is a big expenditure, not just of, uh, you know, it, it actually kind of doesn't matter as a spell slot. It's, it's about the time, right? That means that the players, you know, are away from uh, uh, the caravan, yeah. The caravan for the day, which is not, which is not great. Um, but uh, I think the problem is that, like, if the players can do it, it also means that NPCs can theoretically do it, right? And, like, at what point are you prioritizing, right? Like, the training of your. Your kind oh, of wizard NPC. You, you see what I'm saying, right? Like, if you have if you have a scouting party and you just say, well, let's just, like, power up our scouting party so that they get overland flight and they can just constantly be 50 miles out from everything and, and to, you know, like, that kind of is the... Okay, that's 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 the failure. That's the, that's the kind of where the too much information kind of comes down. I actually think a version of this where, you know, you have scouting parties and their radius is 10 miles right with a kind of general sense of 30 miles and maybe you have a you maybe you have a uh, uh, a perk that doubles that to 20 miles right like acute acute information 50 miles general information that's probably that's probably cool right like that probably sure. like you could, you could i feel like you could also sit down and rejigger this to like you know your your NPC mages are generally too busy repairing, like casting mend on broken parts of the caravan to be to go to scouting duty. And scouting duty is also dangerous, so it's it's you know you could do it, but there's a high risk that that mage won't come back, and that's kind of like heavily hinted at as being like not worth it except in dire circumstances. That way, you can kind of let the players do it if they want to, and also like let them push that emergency button if they feel like it's really important. Right? Like we feel them, like the enemy breathing down our necks. We'll ju we're just gonna have to power through it, and we're gonna have to risk our mages to go, uh, to go figure out this information. That way, we can keep ourselves safe. Um, as like one of one potential option, I think that's a better solution than, 
Um, I don't know how you'd handle it otherwise, outright banning the spell or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I just cut the spell. Um, I don't know. It, 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 it feels like, like, flying feels like one of those things that's, like, super, like, I- iconic magically, and cutting all forms of flight just seems... Oh, sorry, kinda, no, kinda, no, no, kinda not, all, all for, not all forms. I think regular fly is fine. It's specifically overland flight. It's okay. the long duration. Like, I think having I, I think having flight as a uh, as a short-duration buff that a mage casts on himself in a fight, right, in order to gain that kind of mobility and leverage and all that other kind of stuff, that, I am 100% okay with that. Um, the... Uh, where it it's it's when you can it's when you can be flying for you know hours and hours on end that i it loses uh that it loses me okay just see what i'm saying I see what because saying. i mean the regular duration of flight is like a minute a level so it's not a huge yeah know. yeah no, i see that um but yeah um Again, I, I would probably handle it slightly differently, but I, I see your concerns. And I, I, I think in, in either case, it's definitely workable. Like, I don't think it's so iconic as, you know, to, as, as to warrant, like, you know, def, like you, know, you definitely shouldn't cut it. But I also think there are other ways to work around it if you wanted to. Um, yeah. All that's, all that's good. This is, this is a really neat idea. Um, you know what's funny about this idea, by the way, is that I would never want to run it. I would only ever want to play in this idea. I, re- I really want to – I really like the idea of playing this in this kind of campaign. And I actually think that I would run it well if I were to run it. Um, but uh, uh, I, I would – I am much more interested in kind of playing in a campaign like this than I would be in running a campaign like this. Oof, but then you're already spoiled on the, on the big twist. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, but – Oof. I'm spoiled on – I'm spoiled on, you know, the big twists to – Empire Strikes Back, and I can still watch that movie. Oof, oof. You know, you know what the answer will be is if I ever run this, I'm gonna double twist it so that you get to the gate, and it's just it's something else entirely, right? Like you get to the gate and the land, and you're like, no, we're not letting you in, and you and you have to figure out what you're doing or something like that. That would be cool. Or like, like, like to be frank, when you said this, like, you're like, and it turns out that your escape plan didn't work anyway. My immediate thought was like, jump on boats and go sail somewhere. Um, I, uh, you know, as a teaser for another campaign pitch me that I always, that I want to do is a new world. A, you are Christopher Columbus campaign oof. pitch me. Uh, we actually, so people, people, you know, any Hotspur people th- that are our generation will remember this uh, as being kind of the hook to our big Hopsfa campaign, and I actually, I really loved that. I would love the chance to kind of redo that. I thought every, I, I had so much fun uh, uh, playing in that, doing that game. It was a neat game, yeah. Um, that game had one of the best, like, kind of plot twist cliffhangers of my life, I think. I don't know that I'll ever be able to, like, really match how awesome it was. Because uh, it, the, you know, so, just to, you know, we have seven minutes, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to explain it just to, just to pat myself on the back. Uh, uh, so, you know, the setup to this was a previous campaign where the players are contracted by a mercenary commander named Colonel Steelbrand and, uh, and Colonel, and, and, um, and so they're they're doing all this stuff for Colonel Steelbrand, and then it they, it turns out that Colonel Steelbrand is you know they're they're fighting this invader this invading goblin army 
um, at the behest of Colonel Steelbrand. And it turns out that Colonel Steelbrand is actually working with the goblins um, in order to get lucrative mercenary contracts in saving, like, the kingdom or whatever, right? Um, and so he be and so the players catch him. He becomes a uh, you know he becomes a, a a traitor, right? He's gonna be you know he's gonna be killed. He goes to prison, whatever, right? The second bit of the campaign starts up with Colonel Steelbrand being executed, but it turning out to be like a doppelganger or whatever, and nobody knows where the real Colonel Steelbrand is. Um, and then uh, and then the players. Uh, uh, the kingdom is under attack by, you know, the kingdom is under attack by goblins for real now or whatever. And so they, on a desperate mission, right, they send the PCs in, in a ship to a new continent in order to kind of like scout out the way for for colonizing everything. And on that new continent, right, they run into all these problems with like the locals, the natives and everything like that. Um, then you find out that uh, uh, then they like they went to an oracle. Were you here for this? They went to like an oracle or something, and they asked the oracle. Uh, oh no no! What happened was they found Colonel Sealbrand on the ship between point A and point B, um, and then they threw him overboard. And then they get to the new world, and you f and they go into and they find this oracle, um, and they find out that there's this big bad guy called the Blood King, who is you know like wreaking havoc and is gonna just like shit on them or whatever. And so they they ask the oracle, they say, what do we need to do to defeat the Blood King, right? And the cliffhanger was the the oracle says you have to find Colonel Steelbrand, right? After the players thought that they had killed him, I loved that cliffhanger. I love that plot twist so fucking much. I like endeavor for the rest of my life to you know, um, to recreate, to recreate that stuff. Yeah, no, it was, it was, I don't remember that. Pop so the thing, this is, you're going to hate me. But the thing I remember most about that campaign is that was also the campaign where, where the long Colonel story, he deflected the lightning bolt. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. yeah. The, the goblin cabin deflected the lightning bolt. Yeah. And so, I'm sorry about the, that. <laughs> But that's just the thing. That was such a learning curve. That was such a learning curve moment for me too, because I had never dealt with play. Yeah, never in my life had I dealt with players who would have thought that that as being unfair. You know what I mean? Like all up until then, everybody I'd ever really dealt with were just theater kids, and so they were they're they just rolled with the punches uh, because their their investment was in the story rather than the mechanics. Um. Yeah. Well. Uh. You know. Um. But. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, 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 I, I don't think I was around for the very end of it. I think, I think for whatever reason, I, I had exited the campaign at that point. Um, and that is not—I I should clear this up. This is not because of the lightning bolt thing. I just think I had like classes or something. Um, well, actually, if I remember correctly, I think you were running. A oh, you're game, right. Yeah, yeah, I was running a, uh, during the same time. Yeah. Um, yes, I was running a game for my uh, for for some of. Some other college friends who were all complete noobs um, in a very weird system called Legend that has failed to go anywhere since, but I thought was neat at the time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, uh, I definitely thought that um, the things, the other things I remember from that are that like most of the weird races that you came up with were very clearly wow races that you, that yep. you tweaked a little bit. That whole place, that whole place was uh, 100% just like lifted from wrath of the lich king they like it, it was designed like the howling fjord um what was it there were bear people 
stag people the, and I think Tuscar. Yeah, there were Tuscar. There, there were like I, I specifically remember there being just they're straight up these are Tuscar. Um, yeah. Uh, and then there was the Blood King, who uh, uh, the Blood King, who was basically not actually really the Lich King. Uh, the Blood King was cool because he was kind of an ancient like demigod whose power had been split between like a sword, a crown, and something else. And the players inadvertently reunited all three of them, uh, which kind of like t- like put everything to put everything in motion. Um, yeah, no, it was it was it was interesting. The other thing that was interesting about it is is it was run essentially in kind of squads by like you and Nick separately for a lot of it. Um, yeah, also Mark had a squad. Oh, did he? Mark had a squad with the deer people, and he made some like really fucked up shit happen to the deer people. Like the guy had to, <laughs> in order, the, the, like in order to, somebody had to join the deer tribe in order to get the like the lore on on the blood king so okay i i'm trying i'm trying to piece this together because to be honest with you i made most of this campaign up on the spot so um uh, the 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 blood king uh had his sword he had his crown and i maybe he had like a shield or something maybe he had like armor um and each of the three races had a had one of the three pieces of it um but like for instance i think the um the Ursoc race, the Ur- the the whatever the the uh, the the uh, the bear race hid it in a cave um, that was like protected by all of these bears, and the players went into the cave, raided it, found the crown, and took it back to base. Um, the uh, uh, the uh, the Tuscar hit it in like a dungeon with a whole bunch of traps, which was the tomb of horrors that Nick ran. It was, it was at the bottom of that tomb of horrors. Um, and then the deer people had it, but like the, it was something about like, it they, like, they had this really powerful sword. And I, one of the players who I think was Seth, wanted the sword really bad like he was a power gamer and he was like oh my god the super powerful sword i wanted and so in order to gain access to the chamber with the sword you needed to join the the deer tribe and the only way for an outsider to join the deer tribe was to castrate himself so that he couldn't he had to castrate himself because he wasn't allowed to mate or reproduce with any of the deer in the tribe, right? And then he had to eat his own testicles in order to, like, prove the castration oh or something. God, that, the, the, this was run by Mark, and the guy did it. He wanted the sword so bad that he cut his balls this, off, this, ate it, this sounds exactly and then he stole like the something sword. that Mark would run and that Seth would bite. So like yeah, yeah right yeah right and then and so and I think they ended up so what happened was they ended up reuniting the, like the armor the crown and the sword in the camp um, and doing that uh, kind of like allowed the blood king to like you know it like freed the blood king spirit or whatever and it stole the three items and went into another dungeon somewhere and started like the ritual to get his body and, and all of his power back and they had to kill him before uh uh and they had to kill him before they um uh they had to kill him before he got back to full strength or something like that oh and you know there was actually a fourth tribe and the fourth tribe were lycanthropes and uh <laughs> The lycanthropes, um, and that's where Colonel Sealbrand was. Colonel Sealbrand took over the lycanthropes um, because the mercenary company, this is literally where this came from, the mercenary company was called the Hounds of Steelbrand. Um, and I just loved the idea of Colonel Sealbrand literally becoming 
a, a hound, right? Um, and be and being the leader of all of these dog, these dog people. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Anyway, that's a blast from the past. Uh. <laughs> um, in more in more recent history, buddy, what what did you do this week? Uh, I actually didn't do all that much this week. Uh, I mean, we played Hell's Rebels, which is like yes. the big ticket item. Um, I've been waiting for this session. I've been waiting for this session, actually, kind of almost like to get it out of the way, not even to, um, uh, like play it, play it. Yeah, like the, I actually think this session sucks to a certain extent because it's such a huge info dump. Right. Um, but it's really important to me because you have to. I, I feel like you have to front load in a traditional story. You would take these points of interest, kind of beat by beat, so you could kind of like, you know dynamically uh uh introduce the information like okay well here you know you go to asiksazi oh here are these kokari right you know what i mean and like you can spread out that exposition but because i was really really into the making you guys choose right um on which what your priority structure was like which path you'd kind of take um i had to throw all of that information at you all at once um, which just kind of sucks, but there's really no other way to get around that. Right, right. Um, but so, but, uh, but yeah, so you have your blueprint. Uh, this is the blueprint for what book three looks like. Uh, I'm glad we get, uh, we got started. I'm actually very interested, uh, uh, see, now I have to bring up roll 20 cause I can't remember the specifics of your faction list. I know you guys are starting with the way watchers, um, oh, but I was actually, I was, Super interested to see how you would break down uh, those uh, the the different the different points. Yeah, I mean it's. Uh, I I feel like we we did it well, right? We we kind of went with like a lot of like rather personal choices rather than uh, um ra- rather than kind of like necessarily hardcore strategic choices. There was a lot of that in the middle, but it's like. What do we feel about the Kokari? Amerigrig wants to go fuck around with his sister, so um, maybe not like that was poorly phrased. Uh, wants to go. What <laughs> wants to go like deal with his sister, so that moves up on the priority list. Um, and I managed to sneak uh, a meeting with with uh, with Canton somehow, um, in the very early pieces, and then it's the end. You know, Rakax just doesn't want to deal with any other land, and so that went to the very bottom of the list. Yeah, and I think. The only, the only thing I feel bad about is that, like, I think a lot of us wanted to, or at least Jimmy and I, wanted to do Ravenel Wood because it was, seemed cool, but was, like, strategically kind of down on the list. So, um, th- that's the only thing I, I really am a little bit dissatisfied with in terms of its placement on the list. But, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of, like, how it has to go, right? Like, there has to be things that go last. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I mean, so, uh... I, yeah, I was very interested to see, um, you know, like the reason that I had to introduce that kind of thing where it's like, listen, if you let things drop in the priority list, Barzillai could snipe them from you. Right. Right. Um, and there is, and, and by the way, that is a dynamic number. There, there's a priority. There's, I'm obviously not going to reveal what your right. priority looks like, uh, but there's a priority of, um, uh, there's a priority that looks like where you guys recruit maybe only one or two, 
and then five go to Barzillai just because of how it all breaks down. Um, and, you know, and, and to a certain extent, I almost feel like that's unfair, but I actually kind of thought that that was important as uh, in, a, in, a, in like the way of the reward structure by just because like, you know, if you are not cognizant of the weakness of your position to recruit, you know, the Kolkari or like the Way Watchers, right? Like if you're like you, you know, you guys did a very good job in kind of identifying, for instance, um, that there's no way the Leonin are they. It is impossible for Barzlite to recruit the Leonin. Fundamentally, right? Fundamentally impossible for him to get them um, on board with his kind of uh, theocracy. Uh, yeah, um, and so the. And so reading between those lines and figuring that stuff out and the degree to which you are able to successfully figure that stuff out was super interesting to me. But there, but you know, like there's a lot of stuff in here that's kind of like testing different things, right? Like how much are you willing to, you know, like who's willing to make the argument to Marigrug, listen, I understand that it's important to you to go like resolve these issues with your sister, but that cannot be a priority of ours, right? Or, you know, at what point are you like, I have no idea what to expect when it comes to Ravenel Forest, but I think it's too, you know, like, but the mystery is too intriguing to let go, right? So we have to figure out an answer to that, even if we have no, un, you know, if we have no clue which way that breaks. Um, and, and so that, and so that's, you know, this is kind of the, why the grand choice nature of it was so important for me to, uh, to include here. Yeah, no, it was really cool. It was a lot of, uh, it was, it's, it was a neat exercise, um, but uh, and you know, it, it was a lot of info dump, but uh, it was, it's hopefully playing it out will be, uh, will be just as entertaining. Are you planning on doing kind of like random encounter stuff um, on the way to and from the different points? No. Okay. Almost not at all. Um, the uh, th this is going to be long as is because each one of these uh, each one of these encounters is you know two or three sessions in and of themselves in fact to be honest with you um part of me wanted to run the way uh, if if you would let the way watchers kind of drop somewhere into the middle um i would have run that as a double uh as like a weekend double session because okay. uh, i think it would actually work as like a, a like a six hour really long one but because it's right at the top of the list um you know, we'll, it, we'll split it up. It's not a huge deal. Because, uh, you know, I obviously... I don't want to get people... You know, I don't want to try and, like, coordinate a good weekend for people when, you know, uh, in, inside of a week because I don't think that that's really, you know, possible. Or, yes. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, you know, the and so... Uh, uh, yeah, the, it is... It is um, I You know, I obviously added a lot of stuff. Uh, the book has... Well, the book actually has a fair amount of this, um, to be honest with you. Uh, actually, you know, uh, now that I think about it, that's really not true. Really, just the book has Vire, and that's it. Everything else I've wiped. <laughs> Whoops. Um, but uh, but the point is is that I I there are some places you know the 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 book had you go to Asiksazi for instance. Um, but uh, I wiped. Uh, I just completely rewrote that to make it about the Kolkari instead of making it about these aquatic elves, which were, it was like the randomest side note. This is, this is the kind of shit that I hate about the book, right? Like these random fucking aquatic elves are there and you have to go like solve their shit. 
and it's just it's the weirdest it's the weirdest thing um and like and then you solve it and it basically never comes up again it's so weird anyway um but uh but yeah i don't know what else did we do we didn't play rune lords uh no uh i don't mean anything else rpg like did you so for the um for the folks at home the uh, RPG that Buddy mentioned a couple weeks ago during the Kickstarter episode, Dusk City Outlaws, um, I did end up backing. Buddy has not yet. Um, and uh, so uh, by backing it, I got a copy of the rules, and I think we're going to read them and talk about them at some point soon because um, they look neat. I've been kind of digging into a little bit of that stuff. I've also um, hit up a bunch of these articles from the Angry GM. One of, one of my other friends linked me to him, and I, I find his content... To be super cool and super fun, you should check him out, buddy. Um, okay. Uh, but uh, um, what else? Uh, so the big things I did this week were um, I played a little bit of Fire Emblem Heroes, the uh, the new mobile game. Mobile for, game, ooh. Uh, this is, you know, I, I'm normally not one that plays mobile games, and this this is this game isn't perfect, but it's kind of like enough of a little distraction for me to not care so much. It's got enough of the the flavor of Fire Emblem. That it works for me. Um, it's obviously not as deep or as tactical as uh, as uh, regular Fire Emblem games. Um, but it does have, like, a lot of kind of those trappings, right? It's got some abilities and things are a bit more streamlined. Um, but uh, it's also pretty neat because, like, the, the kind of core concept is you, you're a guy with, like, a weird gun and the gun summons heroes. Um, and they're heroes from old Fire Emblem games, so everybody... The game uh, is apparently all, all about hitting buttons until you summon your favorite waifu. Um, and then you can uh, then you can go power them up and go fight battles with them. Interesting. I You know, I've never been a Fire Emblems guy, so... Uh, I don't have any connection to the kind of continuity of it, but I have been thinking about picking up... Um, Fire Emblem's uh, heroes just because I'm mobile games are neat. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge Fire Emblem guy either, but you know there are the ones that I recognize. I recognize who Roy is. I know who Marth is. I know who um, uh, Ike is and Lucina. Yeah, I know. I know about all of these people purely through some yeah, Brothers. Same. Um, and I've, I've played a little bit of some of the games, um, mm. but not enough to really like dig into the story too hard. Um, but the fact that like. Like, the stuff I've read is that, like, people are super psyched. It's an okay game, right? Like, it is exactly what I would want from a mobile game. I'm probably not going to put any money into it. Um, but it's a good kind of time waster. So that gives that gets, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, uh, okay, go do the thing for me if you're interested in that kind of thing. Especially if you're a Fire Emblems fan. Then, then I would de definitely recommend checking it out. Um, sure. The other big thing I did was I put a bunch of time this weekend into the For Honor open beta. Um, and I've been loving it. Um, so the thing that I really like about this is that it feels like, uh, in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's the same type of fundamentals as a fighting game. It's got some of the same type of RPS-type mechanics, but it's also like a very fresh take on it. Um, what with the kind of uh, team-based combat and with the um, the light MOBA elements for the Dominion mode. Um it's the individual combat is very skillful um and uh it's one of those things where like it's 
So the, the thing about this game versus a say a traditional fighting game is it's a lot slower, so it feels a lot a lot easier to kind of understand and go for. Um, and so because of that, I'm I'm really I really enjoy kind of like the different dynamics of how everything works here. So for those of you who don't know, the the basic mechanic is is you um, generally lock onto one other person, and then you can strike high left or right, and they can block high left or right. Um, and you think that this gets boring really quickly, but there's a lot of stuff in there that that that's uh, that varies class to class. I and mean, a couple other mechanics too. There's also a button that you can press that breaks guard, and breaking guard will give you a moment to attack, or you can hit it again and throw them to reposition them. Um, and that kind of actually works. This this works very closely to um, the kind of RPS based system for for most two D fighting games, which is you know block beats attack, attack beats um, throw and throw beats block. And in this case, throw is the armor break. Um, you know, if somebody's just, uh, huddling up and blocking the whole time, you can arm, you can guard break them. And the thing that works there to keep that from being too, like too standard because kind of blocks your default state, um, is you can, uh, uh, you can counter, a, a guard break with your own guard break, um, kind of like teching a throw in this fighting game. And you can do that on reaction. You can do that. Like you, you can do that fast enough. You don't have to read it. Um, you can anticipate or you, you, you can do it when you see it. And so, it makes the game a little bit more defensive, but I do think it, like there's enough um, variability with the classes. Like some classes can dodge and then guard break out of that. Some classes can dodge and hit out of that dodge. Some classes can can counter and get a strike in and and like have like bleed or poison properties on them, so that you okay. get get a little bit more damage in them. It's um it's it's really cool and really uh really compelling. I think it'll be. I, I'm definitely planning on picking it up and putting a fair amount of time into it. Yeah, I mean, I, I had thought about it, but I uh, ended up being, like, a regular person and going out and doing things with friends in the real world rather than, like, uh, sitting around and uh, what a, playing video games like What normal. a noob. Uh, which is kind of my, you know, whoops. <laughs> like, uh, um, I also haven't been, you know, I've still just been, like, gunning super... I, something happened where I just, like, got really hardcore back into... Uh, World of Warcraft? Yeah, World of Warcraft. It, it's it's great. I uh, So, but what I did do, and what I do want to talk about, um, is, uh, so I'm, you know, I'm part of a different raid group now, and uh, we downed Gul'dan. Oof. Did, did you switch guilds? Uh, no. No, we're still... It's Blades. I'm raiding with Blades now. Okay, but are you raiding with them exclusively, or are you still raiding with Sanctuary? Uh, I raid with... I, yeah, no, I still raid with Sanctuary. I raid with... They, they don't overlap in time. I raid okay. with Blades uh, on Baron, and then I raid on Sanctuary with uh, Zon Hao. Okay, um, so, so Blades Baron is your serious warrior. raids. Yeah, uh, Zon Hao is the... Uh, is my shaman alt. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, so... Uh, I killed Gul'dan, and the Gul'dan fight, and the stuff that happens in Nighthold, and I also finished the Insurrection storyline, which is super cool, and super interesting, and I'm really, like, down for everything. Um, the, uh, the Gul'dan fight is super cool, and the end cinematic, uh, do, do you mind if I... Go for it. Spoil it. Uh, so the end cinematic. Um, so what's what's going on in in the Nighthold is Gul'dan is trying to use the Nightwell in order to open a rift to uh, the Twisting Nether that can pull Sargeras into Illidan's body, right? Um, his his dead body. But like because you know Illidan is super special, his corpse is like 
super powerful and awesome or whatever, right? At the same time, if you do like the Illidan quest, right? You create this like soul vessel and you go to you go to Helia, you kill Helia, you get Illidan's soul, right? And so you are trying to put Illidan's soul in his body, right? Um, and so, you know, you're fighting Gul'dan and, um, and, oh, spoiler alert, you fucking kill Gul'dan and, uh, uh or, or you, you, you beat Gul'dan, um, but beating Gul'dan is you get Illidan's body, uh, the rift closes and you get Illidan's soul back in Illidan's body and then Illidan kills Gul'dan, which is the coolest thing ever and he does it exactly like Varian Rin, uh, and it's just, God, it's so cool and epic, and what a great moment. Uh, but the other thing I want to mention is that Elisand is way more interesting than I ever thought Blizzard would ever get with her. Uh, during the Elisand fight, like, her kind of, like, boss intro, she basically explains that the only reason that she, like, allied with the Burning Legion is that because she's, like, a time mage, she spent all of this... When the first... When the offer came, she spent all of this time... Uh, like lo like looking through the timelines to see you know like what happens in the future if uh, if they ally with the burning legion or, or whatever and she basically says there is no version of events where my people live where we don't ally with the burning legion and i think that that's actually a really cool and interesting motivation for the character and it makes a lot of sense given that like the the first stuff that you meet you meet or that you hear about elisand is how she specifically you know made the dome around suramar and was using the nightwell and everything in order to not join the burning legion with uh uh, Queen is Shara. Uh, and so I just kind of think that that like nuance, like this is the kind of thing that uh, always I find, I find very cool about Blizzard, right? Like they're willing to kind of subvert expectation and add in, you know, um, I don't know, just like add in cool stuff uh, to make their characters more dynamic and interesting rather than going uh, the kind of normal straightforward route. Yeah, no that that sounds that sounds cool. Um, I'm that, now I've got some stuff that I want to look up and see how uh, see how that goes because that that sounds sounds really neat. Do we get any um, resolution on there? There was there's another kind of story bit that I'm that now I can't remember. Um, oh, what's happening with the the horde and the alliance vis a vis each other? What uh, what part of the, the like the insurrection storyline did you leave off? Um, so I have heard through the grapevine that the reason that um, Sylvanas was trying to steal the Soul Lantern was to resurrect Vol'jin, right? Ooh, I did hear that, but I have no idea where that comes from. Okay, uh, to be honest with you, it might be so. Seven point two is on the PTR, so it might be kind of a remnant of uh, oh, maybe okay. a remnant of that. Okay, okay. Um. So I have, I, I, you know, I unfortunately don't have, uh, uh, all right. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a future episode then. Um, I do. So I left off like maybe three weeks before the, the insurrection storyline ended, which was like the blood elves and the night elves were helping the, 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 the moon elves or whatever they are. Um, sure. uh, and, and so is that like, is like, th that was kind of like a point of like, there was some tension there, but they were, you know, we're all we're all elves. We'll still elf up and help each other. Um, is that still the case, or is? Uh, yeah, basically. Um, what? Uh, so what ended up happening? Um, 
was uh, the like the 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 night elves and the blood elves and the uh, whatever they're called night fallen um, all banded together and they push through to like the gates of the night hold. But Elisan casts like, casts a time freeze spell that freezes the whole army in place right at the gates, which is the reason that like you have to kind of sneak in. If you've ever, if you've seen, if like you look through like the journal or whatever the dungeon journal, you see that the first couple of bosses are like random underground right, bosses. Right. All of those bosses are underground because like you and your strike team of raiders um, are uh, sneaking in in order to get past that spell. Uh, which is actually kind of cool. I, I've always um, I've always appreciated that Blizzard does, you know, where the raids are small teams kind of thing, um, and I and I'm very and I'm very kind of like interested by that, and I and I find that pretty cool. Uh, but uh, something that something that is uh, harder to pull off is kind of like when they have this super deliberate military setup to all of this, right? Um, the, the expectation of it being kind of like a military action takes away from the fact that it's like a, like a 25 person raid, right? Like that just kind of doesn't make sense. Um, and, uh, so, I like that they were able to create a really strong, interesting reason for this not to be the case um, where, you know, you, you specifically can't, you know, do you, you, you specifically can't do it as like a military action. You have to do it as a, you know, uh, a smaller team. Yeah, I, I played up to the point um, where like I, I played through the scene where the, the time freeze happens. Um, oh, OK. Yeah, the rest of it is just uh, the rest of it is like figuring out that that back entrance okay uh and they also introduce like another villain right like the first uh, the you know the first arcanist gets replaced by this other first arcanist who's like a piece of shit and you go and you attack her with her withered but she kills all of your withered and so then you have to go and power up your you know you have to level up your withered it's a whole thing Ooh, for, is, is there different withered training uh no it's not it's not different withered training it's just you bring withered to uh the fell soul okay. hold um, and you make them like channel these fucking uh, uh, like on these like weird orb green orbs, and they become like resistant to fell magic or something like that. Um, yeah, no, I, I just something I definitely don't miss is running um, withered training every three days yeah, to try yeah. and get my stone, which I never got. It sucks. Um, but yeah. Well, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you would be welcome back if you want to, if you ever want to come back for raids. They actually, they did something very cool uh, recently, which was they allowed the battle, uh, the the WoW token to transition to any, like, battle.net balance, kind of like a Steam wallet almost. Um, and uh, and that is awesome. And I am super into that. Uh, the um, kind of the idea that I can burn my WoW gold by... Uh, or I, I I can burn WoW gold to like buy Overwatch loot boxes or Overwatch yeah exactly Overwatch loot boxes right I can buy the one night in Karazhan uh, thing and not have to uh, pay money for it. There's all of these you know like 
uh, for World of Warcraft, obviously, there's like a million fucking like mounts or whatever, right? Like I could buy the Armored Bloodwing, right? Or the Grinning Reaver or, you know, the Enchanted Fey Dragon, right? Like all these different random uh, mounts, uh, which I think is just the coolest fucking thing. Yeah, that sounds like a great quality of life improvement. I wonder if it's going to bite into their like sales at all. See, I actually kind of expected it to do the opposite, uh, which is make the WoW token more um, attractive to buy with real money. Attractive, yeah. Okay. With your yeah, for instance, you know, and this this is something that I think about um, as a as like a role player, right? But the idea that I buy, um, uh, the idea that I can buy services game services like an appearance change or a race change right like you know for instance when one of my characters died in character i race changed him from a dwarf to a pandaren and i created a whole new character uh based on that kind of thing right like i paid for that race change um because like the rp was just like that worth it to me um and i think that that you know like that's a neat a neat option uh to 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 all of this no it sounds it sounds sounds good yeah i mean one day i feel like you know one day i'll go back to playing like other games uh something i've something i've actually been like thinking about doing but never quite having gotten into it uh is uh the long war 2 have you done uh any any xcom 2 long war 2 no not at all uh yeah because it came out it came out and i've been like watching like podcasts and uh or not podcasts uh let's plays rather and seeing how people play through it um and i'm very interested i'm very interested by the uh i i'm very interested by kind of seeing the um the, like the changes to the game because i kind of think that if you, I, I, I am I am kind of interested in seeing how, I guess might be a better way to put this, um, the changes to the mod could fix some of my overall problems with, like, XCOM 2, where, like, you know, like, the learning curve is too brutal and punishing, um, and that maybe there's a way that, you know, to kind of, like, like make that a more gradual increase. I don't know. I, I, I don't expect that to be the case, but... In a way, I kind of hope it to be the case. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. I, I I've been I have been trying to get myself to play Divinity Original Sin Enhanced Edition, but I just haven't gotten around to it yet. I've had too many other things to do, um, like uh, watching anime and uh, reading angry GM articles. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but. I think that's about it, unless you had anything else you wanted to talk about. Do I have anything else I want to talk about? Uh, as a sneak peek for everybody next week, we're doing John Wick 2. So go are we see doing John Wick or are we doing Dusk City next week? Oh, shit. Is that next week? Um, We'll figure it out. Next two weeks will be some combination of Duck City Outlaws and John Wick 2. <laughs> right. So, see those. Yeah. Yay. And if you haven't seen uh, John Wick 1, see that, and then go see John Wick 2. Definitely. Um. Uh, but yeah, but I think that's, that's everything. Uh, that's everything for me. Uh, so yeah, I, I didn't want to promote anything either. Um, I would say then until next time of loyal listeners until next time, dear listeners.